0: Welcome to T-Smack, home of the T-Smack. May I take your order?
1: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, comics, and much, much more. I'm your host, Josh Scar, and joining me pretty much as always, Alex, is it time we just W the co-host?
2: I'm being promoted?
1: No, I, I, I didn't <laughs> yes! say promotion. I didn't say promotion. Oh. I just said is it time we just W the co-host. You're still stuck in my basement. I'll take it.
2: <laughs> oh, thank God. The renovation's almost done. I don't know what I'd do if I got it moved up to the first floor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you might have heard a couple other voices joining us this week. Uh, the first one you might have heard is Antonio from The Cultworthy and many other podcasts. Antonio, how you doing?
0: Uh, great, and I just realized this is my first time actually being a guest on the show instead of just little clips and inserts of my voice on the show from past reviews so oh my heart hurts
1: antonio my heart hurts because (laughs) you've forgotten about our gi joe origin snake eyes episode
0: oh my gosh you know what you're right and we also (laughs) did we also did uh the movie with matt from decaying with the boys the
1: upgrade yeah
0: upgrade yeah okay well let's put it this way this is the first time that i've been on the show with other co-hosts of your show
1: so it feels (laughs) new (laughs) there you go well again he's recently been given a new title it's not a promotion it's just a new title Mm -hmm. but yeah officially on with the co-host the co-host of talking smack i suppose uh but the other voice you might have heard is slade from the game club pod in between two pods slade welcome back Thank you. This is like three weeks in a row. I've been over here on Talking Spec. And it's a lovely
3: DM to get saying, hey, would you come talk about something that we don't know much about? And I'm like, yeah.
1: You, you have your niche. It's, so it, for anyone who's guessing uh, based on the title alone, Suzume, it's either a video game movie or an anime. So flip a coin and figure out which one it is. Uh, but Antonio will be back in just a couple of weeks when we talk about Godzilla minus one. So the, we're we're having a nice little like rotating guest spot here for the next couple of weeks.
0: And based on Asian cinema, no less.
1: Ooh, <laughs> that's true. There's a there's a theme going on. If only there's a theme going on. <laughs> there's a running theme here. <laughs> yeah, man. Now now I'm really hoping that uh, Good Burger two is really good next week. <laughs> <laughs> If nothing else, I'm reuniting the guys from unchef so at least there's that. All right, well, before we dive into Suzume, which again, flip a coin, see which it is. Is it a video game movie or an anime? We'll let Slade reveal that after we come back from hearing from our guy, Caesar over at the No on 15 Allcast. We'll be right back. No,
0: I'm 15. No, I'm 15. No, I'm 15. No, I'm 15.
2: So... What's our show about? It's about some dudes talking about movies. Just like this.
3: With Goofy screaming with them. <laughs> yeah!
2: so, so, the, like, so you're talking that they should have replaced it like with a Tom and Jerry scream or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> or you might hear something like this. I oh just, my gosh. That whole movie waiting to see what happens with Blanca is like the most aggravating thing in that film. But for the most part, we talk movies from the 80s, 90s, and today. And if you grace us with your ear time, you might hear one of these 30 second gems like this. Okay, I was going to say, I <laughs> did not get a chance it. to watch this one this week.
1: <laughs> give oh, it man. to him, anyways. Let him We're going to give it to you, but anyway, you ready? I'm going to give you no, the, no, no. the
3: 30 second review of uh, Tron Uprising. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Start the
0: clock. And then...
2: <laughs> so give us a shot and listen to the Noam 15 Allcast
1: wherever you listen to your podcasts. No! Slate, if I suggested you reach out to Caesar for a no on fifteen for between two pods,
3: I have considered uh, like somebody okay. else. He never responded to my message. Uh, <laughs> Caesar, if you're listening,
1: <laughs> if you're listening
0: to this, Caesar, you got to be more persistent. I'm just going to start bugging Antonio a lot more. <laughs> right. You just got to keep messaging him so he
1: move to the top of his DMs.
0: That's, I tried. honestly. I- that's what it is. If you just, like, send me an emoji just to keep yourself at the top, I will respond a lot quicker.
3: I told Dan from Views, I was like, I don't know if Antonio just doesn't like me, what it is. Could you tell him, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of him? I've told uh, (laughs) Justin from The Movie Wire, I'm like, hey,
1: please help. (laughs) Alex says, (laughs) 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 are you already broken? Like, (laughs) you're usually not this silent.
2: (laughs) I'm just trying to, like, figure out, like, do I just want to be a spoiler in there and just send emojis so I get to the <laughs> top? <time? laughs> Even though I have nothing to talk about? This episode that is going to go live. Uh,
3: Antonio's just going to like lock his DMs down. Nobody can message him. That's how it works. <laughs>
2: going to take the advice from the end of our podcast and i'm going to message you on threads uh, elon's website (laughs) blue skies all of them just one little emoji a day gradually getting sadder and sadder (laughs) from happy and happy until you're blind
0: that's the way to do it man like there's there's people i feel bad because they'll message me like hey want to be on a guest on my show and then in my mind i'm like oh yeah totally but then i don't send it and then like months will go by and out of nowhere, I'll get a text saying, "I guess not." Then I'm like, "Oh shit! I, I completely <laughs> forgot. You should have bugged me more. I would have said yes."
1: What were we talking about oh, before great. we started recording Slate about ADHD brain? Yeah, ADHD brain. Yeah,
3: yeah. That's <laughs>
1: or you just or you just be super popular like Antonio and just have everyone fawning over you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Busiest man in podcasting
0: seriously well it's a combination of those and then like the russian sex bots on twitter oh. or x or whatever <laughs> it's called that's what's getting me the most lately
3: i i constantly we get on the, the game club we get the uh, hey we could promote your podcast do you want to buy this many <laughs> followers and I-,
0: <laughs> I can has promote podcasts for you today yeah very some- lucky happy time <laughs> sometimes we just have
3: like a conversation with them but what we say is just nonsense back to their like question
1: yeah, we're we're recording on a Sunday, and uh, Dan from Casting Views just post uh, this morning posted the episode that I guessed it on about uh, rent free sports moments. And within five minutes of that episode or that tweet going live about the episode, there were two sex bots just like liking and sharing the post. Is just <laughs> like, wasn't Lonnie supposed to take care of these bots? Like, wasn't he supposed to get rid of them? Yep,
0: I had a debate about that the other day from someone who loves Daddy Elon. It's like yeah twitter's <laughs> such a better place i'm like yeah then how is it that i have like literally 20 sex bots a week in my dms and all over my page i, I thought that's what was the the problem was the bots but now i'm like lousy with blots
1: well now he can say the end on twitter and he, he guys can- <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so Suzume, right? It's an anime, by the way, to answer Josh's question earlier. Are we talking about Rinna this? I... Wait, wait, wait. I'm
2: trying to figure out. I-, I thought you guys were being happy about the sex bots.
0: <laughs> no, because they want you to pay. <laughs> oh, it's paying. Oh.
2: I thought you were like, man, I got like 20. I can only handle like five at a time. <laughs>
0: I don't have that kind of cash, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> or I don't have that kind of dogecoin or whatever the hell it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> got to turn my bitcoin into dogecoin into electrum so that
0: <laughs> My stock in Tesla's worth dick now, so <laughs> I got nothing to trade.
1: <laughs> All right, so what I'm getting at is Lonnie sucks. Let's talk about something better, which is Suzume As Slade alluded to, it's an anime by uh, Makoto Shinkai, who also did Your Name and Weathering with You. And Slade, as the resident anime expert, uh, I will let you give a non-spoiler breakdown of the story, and then we'll go from there.
3: I was not prepared to do that, but okay, sure. The story mainly follows our main character, well, as titled in the movie, Suzume herself, um... She ends up meeting a guy named Soda. I'm not good at doing this. I wasn't prepared for this, Josh. Mm -hmm. Uh, Soda's job is to shut doors that release essentially like a giant worm that causes earthquakes and destroys places, cities, and could technically destroy the earth. She ends up meeting him by coincidence, and she thinks he is the handsomest thing in the room. But let's be real. Kind of is. Uh, Follows him to an abandoned place. Finds out what he does. Accidentally releases the original seal for the doors. A little cat named Dijin. And uh, has to go on a quest to shut more doors and seal them up. That'd be my quick no-spoiler version of it. Yeah, that's pretty much what the trailer shows us. And there's a chair.
1: (laughs) And there's a chair. (laughs) 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 So I I think we... We really can't talk too much more about this without going into spoilers. So uh, we we are going to go full spoilers on Suzume. It's a movie that's technically been out for like two years globally, uh, but just came out in the US earlier this year and then hit Crunchyroll uh, just this last weekend, which Crunchyroll, not a sponsor, but could be, maybe should be. Slade and I did an animation April uh, episode with The Cult Worthy, which I think is a really good episode. So again, uh, go back to that episode and listen to that as well um but oh, you know antonio. i'll be posted once this goes live <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it was it
3: was great we watched uh, your name the lensman and sing a bit of harmony and all three very good
1: yeah and we uh, i broke antonio with your name so i was like i gotta have him on when mm-hmm. Suzume's is back because uh, among other things i i, I want to know if maybe i'm weird if i'm the one who's like oh my god this is the best thing ever or maybe i'm the one that's like oh god that sucks <laughs> let's find out what this is like and if if i have the same feeling as everyone else so let, let's just start with the uh, initial impressions. Um, Alex, you haven't been saying a whole lot just yet. So uh, initial impressions on Suzume.
2: See, I kind of wish you had asked me to recap it instead of Slade, because what I would have said was standard schoolgirl number one. I'm sorry, who? Her name is Suzume, but she's standard schoolgirl number no, one. No, Who
1: re- who did the recap? She then
2: runs into her. Oh, my God. That's right. Archibald. Thank you. <sighs> Archibald. Archie. That's right. So we have Howl's moving castle who needs to shut a door without calcifer. And then from there, we end up in some, the guest best damn part of the, of the, of it is the damn chair, man. It's true. We need to get the spoilers. I need to talk about a chair that breaks my heart.
1: Well, I, we can talk about the chair because it's, it is like in the trailer that, uh, Sato, Right suato yeah mm-hmm. so 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 soda yeah uh he becomes the chair mm-hmm. he gets cursed by the cat and uh he becomes a chair which again that's in the very first trailer so like that's part of the hook of the the movie is that Suzume has to become what is called a closer for someone who shuts these doors and prevents the world ending events i guess not, I wouldn't say all world
3: ending, but a lot of them were like massive earthquakes, you know, that could hurt or natural disasters. Kill, you know, a lot of people.
0: And, yeah. It reminded me very much of what the Earth Stream from Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. Like, that's yeah. that's uh, where I went with it. I was like, shit. oh, and it's escaping because, you Internet. know, humans and the, are in the Earth and shit. And this closer, which I think is the coolest part, is the fact that this guy he's like his comes from a generation after generation after generation of closers uh they just go around saving the world for hundreds and hundreds of years to me that was my favorite part of the movie where it's like okay i can get behind that mythos for sure
1: yeah the lore is really interesting uh, i would have liked a lot more on the lore i'm i admit i am not as
2: well versed in anime as as many people So when I was after I had finished it, I was reading reviews on it and stuff like that, and I wonder if I'm going to have a backwards experience because apparently this movie is somewhat derivative of his last two movies. They say it explores a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same you know boy meets girl and exploration. So I really wonder if I'm going (laughs) to like this movie more than the others. Instead of apparently most reviewers like the others more than this one because it's like this is the third your your third attempt at the telling the story, dude. (laughs) Yeah,
3: I thought it was really good overall um like I said we could talk about the chair because it's one of the best things in the movie to be honest <laughs> yes the way that it actually takes place it's kind of rare in anime a lot of times to see like stuff take place like in current day you know everybody has smartphones cars are abundant and just a lot of modern structures that you'd expect to see around her there which is it's, it's better than you know the stereotypical like oh 700 years ago or whatever stereotype behind it uh, I, I really enjoyed the whole movie, though. And uh, once again, the bastard made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Which we can we can get into that.
0: <laughs> I guess it means it's my turn. I, uh, Guys, you know, like, I'm not a huge anime person, and that's why I'm sure Josh wanted me back on the show to see if he was going to break me again with another film from the same filmmaker. And you know what? Uh, unfortunately, and I think this is kind of going back to what Alex was saying is that I had such high expectations because of how much I was blown away by your name. But I try to be realistic, like, okay, it can't be as good as that. And for me, it wasn't. And I'll probably go into depth in this later, but my biggest issue is that I feel this like curse that we see with filmmakers that knock it out of the park on their first go around. So I'm going to go ahead and say M night Shyamalan. I'm going to go ahead and say Jordan Peele where they start creating an expectation that's bigger than them. And I was severely let down by this movie. I was severely disappointed because I was so excited to see if, uh, and it's, it's my bad for going in with such high expectations, but even when I put those expectations in check, I think I just saw too many uh, cliches of himself, like Alex was saying, but also there was a sense of desperation to this movie where I feel like he knows what his rhythm is and knows that the DNA that people expect to see in his film has to be in there. So when they do put those moments in there, they feel forced and unnatural. And so the film didn't really have a flow to me because it felt like, Oh, Oh, I got to put in this cute moment. Oh, I got to put this tribute to regional cuisine in now. I feel like he's got a checklist of things he has to do and therefore it didn't feel natural as in where your name felt not only natural, but like it, it spoke to you. Even if you weren't a part of that, that society and that culture, it still found a way to speak to you. That was kind of my overall impression of the movie.
3: Josh, what did, what did you think? He's crying. He's having
2: the he's having to get it together.
0: <laughs> it's okay, Josh.
2: You can share your emotions with us.
0: Safe space. It is
2: very safe here. You have heard 3 very different opinions. Merchandising.
0: <laughs> you need a soundbite that says sex pots. <laughs> <laughs> he's still gathering.
3: I'm about to say, can anybody else not hear Josh? I can't hear him. Okay. Did
0: he fall off? Well, he has control of the
2: soundboard. Do
3: you think Josh turned into the chair?
2: Oh my gosh, <laughs> what if he did turn into the chair? <laughs> oh my gosh. He's he's actually turned into the chair. And that is why we can't hear him currently.
0: It's only got three legs and he uh, can't reach the oh, soundboard. Uh, oh, there's yeah.
3: messages. Nope. No, we cannot hear you, Josh.
2: We heard
1: merchandising. <laughs> <laughs> so my opinion is, I'm, I'm like one foot inside the same boat as Antonio. I, I found, found it a little hard to distance myself from Makoto Shinkai's uh, tropes as they have become through three movies. Uh, they they all seem to follow the same formula: boy meets girl, girl meets boy, whatever, and then something happens where they separate and whoever is left behind has to kind of rise to the occasion, do their coming of age moment and finish the story. And then typically there is a reunion, which spoiler alert, maybe there is, maybe there isn't who knows in some of these movies. I I, I did think the movie was very beautiful. I watched the dub version. So, um, So, uh, Nicole Sakura plays the, the dub actress, uh, for Suzume and then Josh Keaton, who many would know as, uh, Peter Parker from spectacular Spider-Man, uh, as well as, um, Shiro from the Netflix Voltron legendary defender and many other things, including being in a nineties boy band. Um, they both do fantastic work. Josh Keaton is like an A tier voiceover actor, and uh, I, there were a few moments where Nicole, uh, I was like, oh, that's yeah, that's, that's the girl from Superstore. But then there were other moments where it's like, oh, wow, she's doing a fantastic job. I'd love to see her do something with that. That's not just voice work. But as far as like the movie goes, it, it like Antonio had said it previously, it, it just it felt like he was ticking off boxes. Um, I never felt overly invested in. In the romance, I I was more invested in her relationship with the chair, yep. but not who was possessing the chair. <laughs> there, there needs to be more time invested in the bonding and not just like she's like she's like
3: immediately in love with uh, Soda. Like,
1: yeah. So uh, and I, I feel like there also need to be a moment with Soda where he he's like, oh, wow, this girl is truly amazing. Like th- th- it happens but I don't, I don't feel like it happens in a way that this person all of a sudden is like, I'm in love with this person. They are the love of my life. I will work my way to being worthy of them or whatever. It it just felt like this is a box that needs to be ticked because I make romantic movies. Therefore they have to be a couple by the end of it, which uh, I did share in our talking smack discord in the anime one uh, like a month ago. Makoto Shinkai had originally intended this to be a a, a queer love story. Uh, he he wanted it to be a, a girl that Susan May falls in love with, but through studio interference, they were like, "No, shut it down. It's got to be a boy." So I I had that in the back of my head of like, how did how does this how would that shift this story? Mm-hmm. And uh, part of what Makoto Shinkai had said is that he kind of put everything he had into the quote-unquote traditional relationship boy-girl relationship in your name which you can you can see it throughout the entire film in your name and he's kind of tired of telling the boy-girl story and he wanted to challenge himself and do something different but through the studio interference i think he just kind of lost interest in that and i think through that loss of interest he just kind of went yeah they're together by the end of the movie whatever
0: i also think that the running trend of his films now with you know childhood trauma uh, interfering on on personal relationships and personal growth in your teenage years is a little bit tired as well like that's just something that he keeps showing over and over again uh, you know we have to see you know a version of a person in their youth and then their older version and how trauma affected them whether it was like in the first one with the uh, the cultural uh, responsibility of the main character in that one and how you know that kind of made her a nerd and an outcast in her school that, also leads me to my next point about this movie is that in your name, I feel like there wasn't a character that didn't have at least a full wraparound and resolution to. Like a character wasn't introduced just to like move the story along without bringing them back later and giving them like a tiny bit of, of closure of, of their story loop. And this film literally throws characters just at you to keep the plot going. You get zero. Closure on most of them, and they save it for the closing credits. And that pissed me off so much because you're introducing some pretty cool characters to help her along her way. And then you have to get back to, you know, saving Soda and the chair, and Daijin's bad. And now Daijin's good. And then they bring in the coolest character, the Sodaijin, like the big cat. Mm -hmm. But then all those other people that they bring in later. They don't give you any closure until the ending credits. And it's just like, okay, well, now I feel even robbed more of a a cool story and cool characters that they brought in.
3: I I get your point on that. I think it's kind of fine just because of the way it is her traveling through Japan. And, you know, when you see one of these things, half the time they feel like an advertisement for traveling there. (laughs) Yeah, true. But, but, you know, at, at the same time, though, if... I guess, you know, depending on how when you're watching it, it kind of makes sense in a way. You know, if you travel through somewhere, you don't have any closure on that person's story when you've met them. Mm -hmm. So I get it. You know, sometimes you just meet people and you never know what happens to them afterwards. But you never know. They could have ended up being friends on Facebook or something and met up later.
0: Yeah, that's true, but at the same time, it's like the the orange girl in the bicycle really had no reason to be a part of the movie and didn't need to be in the closing credits, and that's what I'm talking about, is that like maybe I'm just not used to the anime storytelling structures because like I've seen so few, but I I think that's where I was disappointed with this one is because your name did such a good job at making me care about everybody, and that's why it hit me in the gut. Like, the whole idea of like these are all people that could lose their lives if time didn't change you know right. that weighed really heavy on my soul where i felt like a lot of this story was incredibly disposable because the only real danger that you saw was soda as a chair and you know daijin and everyone trying to close the door and stop the worm when the rest of the world was completely oblivious to the fact that they were about to get wiped out
3: right i i agree with you on that like it never felt like the stakes were truly there like we as the audience can see it we can tell the characters have the emotion behind it but when the most you get is like uh, in the tokyo scene it's like oh look some why are the birds going crazy Look at all those
1: birds yeah (laughs) right
3: you know you know you don't get any more than that you know no one else really knows and they do kind of set that up in the beginning you know at school where she's like do y'all not see that you know off in the distance and Mm -hmm. her classmates are like you feeling okay
1: <laughs>
3: you know, which I guess you could say is just an excuse. Um, I know Larson he didn't like it, but this is to me, this is kind of like what I expect out of him. And I mean, the animation quality just stellar as well. You know, yeah, so I kind of i i melted right away into that comfort zone of watching it.
2: First things first, I need we need to go back slightly. Orange girl has a name. Her name is Chica, and she is best girl because <laughs> I want a friend who. Do the magical ability to capture some oranges that are rolling down the hill invites me home, feeds me, and then I decide to hang out with her family and help them clean up. Yeah, <laughs> because her, her design
3: <laughs> and her character personality uh, come back to a lot of a, or to me, look like a big call to another character called uh, Mako from an anime called Kill La Kill. Yeah, They're about the, it looks like it looks like a, like a like a not a sketch. What do you call it, like a tracing between yeah. the two, and then their personalities a bit.
2: I mean Kill Like Hill, I watched that anime because uh saw what is it? Um I, I saw a brief trailer that said you beat him up while dressed like a hooker? I'm like, I have to watch whatever the hell this is, and sure enough, it's Killakill's yeah. a wild kill ride. Like, kill a Kills is a wild ride about dressing like hookers <laughs> while, yeah, while playing yeah, tennis. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: but I, I agree a lot with what Antonio said huh? because um this is essentially a bubble boy story. It's someone who is narratively supposed to be really confined for whatever reason. And in this case, it's an overbearing aunt who is now the guardian of an orphan child. And she just doesn't know how to raise a child. And she's trying to be there because, you know, the heartbreak of having lost both parents or at least one parent that you knew. And I, I, I understand that, but they didn't do a good enough job establishing that overbearance early on because the the first time we get any hint of an overbearing parent in the ant is when Suzume's is on the boat after the first Dijon chase and she's like, are you with a boy? And like, oh, but like, that's not even like overbearing in no, that, that moment.
3: It just seems like standard parenting. Really? Like, what do you yeah. mean you're spending the night at your friends and you didn't tell me where you, why haven't you came? Like none of that seems overbearing or like, her staying on top of every you know little detail of her life.
2: No, and an earthquake had just happened, like a three point seven or four point two or whatever it was right, that but, hit the city. Yeah, yeah
3: which is low on the scale, you know, but still, you know, like, hey, why haven't you in camp- Are you sure you're okay?
2: Yeah, you didn't even call me. I was trying to talk to you and make sure you're safe and you didn't answer at school or here. what's going on. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think they missed the boat on that one. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think they needed to establish that relationship a little bit more before they literally just threw us into this story where Suzume is riding her bike to school and she sees a boy and she's just like, okay, time to go on this adventure. And there needed to be like a 10 minute, Prologue, where it it just it establishes that Suzume's feeling choked in this relationship with her aunt, as well as just like the day to day routine. And I think that it, that would have done a lot more for the narrative because at some point later on in the movie, we get to the point where they they have their heart to heart, and Suzume just breaks, and she's like, "It's because you're smothering me. I I can't breathe when I'm around you because you're so." overprotective and it's like, Whoa, that came out of nowhere. Like what the hell? Like that's new information for us.
0: Yeah. I, I think too, like they, maybe it's something that was lost in translation. Cause I watched the dub version too, where, you know, there definitely is that f- foster child stigma that she wears that Susan may wears that they don't really sell too much. You know, they really want to talk more about the trauma of, of how and why, like the cataclysm. That's that's what these movies are about, is something big happens, whether it's a tsunami. And yeah, I guess it's all kind of based on relevant things that have happened into that country, so that probably plays better to that audience. But that's one of the things I thought too, is like, okay, so I get that there is that foster child stigma that she has. And this might sound like a little weirdly progressive on my part, and I'm a progressive, but there is something about this movie that bugged me. And then I thought about your name. And that's the fact that I really can recognize now because I've seen just so many films and so much TV where you can see when a a male director and writer has a desperation to write a relatable female character, especially a teenager. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And this is a situation where I feel it doesn't because... He is literally writing Suzume as if Suzume was like his manic pixie dream girl that he was obsessed with and the way that he would want her to act in his world. I think why I was more impressed by the character development and writing In Your Name is because that was more about like the family tragedy, the family dynamic that was going on there with the whole cultural thing. It's easier to write a story about not being accepted because of you've got the crazy parents and grandparents that want you to keep the, the traditions, and like your dad is the principal or something. I can't remember how that whole thing He's went. He's the mayor. The, the mayor. But this film doesn't do that. Instead, it's the childhood trauma of losing a, a parent, a family, and then writing these developing feelings as a teenager, which are so stereotypical that you can obviously tell it was written by a dude. And normally I can let it go and it can just, you know, blow right past me and not affect me. But this time it, to me, it was so noticeable that it actually kind of left a bad taste in my mouth.
1: And I, I think that actually raises a really good point that I've been trying since I watched the movie last night is that, and you mentioned it earlier, Antonio, it's not fair to gauge this on the expectation or just like the feeling we had with your name, like, right. it it is kind of the guy's fault for making a masterpiece. And like you, you, you kind of have an expectation now, like you were saying, but the dude also is allowed to tell the stories that he wants to tell. And I think this is an interesting story, but it does feel very cliched anime where it's just like random shit happens, but great visuals and really cute characters. See, I, I would say that like, I actually, I mostly bought Susan May as a character because she,
2: had her own form of agency. Like they really cut very quickly out the whole, like the chairs, like I'm just going to do this on my own. And the, and it's a hard cut to her dragging him like, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm carrying you. This is what, this is what's happening. And then I liked that She quickly was able to encapsulate the dredging up of the memories and feelings of the areas around her. And to do the whole like door key locking thing. He just had to do the whole ritualistic uh, saying stuff. I actually really liked that. Really like that. And I liked how her earnestness, people around her kind of easily took her in and wanted to help her on her way. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was her doing not the chairs doing. But the, my, my issue is that it does feel like a blundered mix of, greatest hits of anime like i he looks like how i immediately saw him like that's how the her journey very much reminded me of spirited away which is i am doing in the bathhouse scene now and i have this thing to do now and i still haven't quite figured out everything but i'm just gonna push along and do stuff and of course i knew it was gonna happen and i giggled but i saw it coming a thousand miles away if a chair has a face and is a guy she's gonna sit on it
0: I was waiting I was waiting for someone to say it. Yeah. But I (laughs) I it's not just how it's not just the action, it's how she does it, and it's the little smirk that she gives, breaking the fourth wall essentially.
2: Which again is he wasn't trying to get her to sit on his face. She really wanted to sit on his face.
0: It made me laugh that just before that he is a chair who is literally sitting on a chair in the corner. <laughs> yes, uh, that that made me laugh. <laughs>
3: the I I had to like pause for one of the chair bits because I was wheezing with laughter. But she's buying like a ticket for a train, mm-hmm. and she's holding him by the, like the leg of the chair, yep. just like by her side. And I don't know why that visual is just so funny. Like to like, me. like
0: holding a toddler's hand. Yeah, yeah. Like holding like, like that a that toddler just holding <laughs> by the leg. And <laughs>
2: Well, see, that is also part of my thing, where it feels like, a, um, a, like a blended mix of greatest hits of anime. Because that chase scene at first, with when he gets turned into a chair and he's learning to run, and the and the daijin, that music is Cowboy Bebop. Yep, you cannot tell me that they did not just go, okay, episode five, cut splice that. Let's put some action in here and play Bebop, because I was like, it, it was so tonally different than the rest of the movie's emotion. That that sequence. Now, that is to say, like, I I did enjoy many aspects of the movie. Like, I like that each door was different and Mm -hmm. that the doors are tied to, I I do like that the doors are tied to emotional places of power, of emotional integrity and power that are, that were lost from previous things, which is obviously something Japan deals with, with their various tsunamis and earthquakes and disasters that have happened throughout, uh, throughout their history. And I really like that. And there was some great emotional moments. Like the, the two scenes that got me is one where she, she yells at Dijin uh, and he shrinks back to like being a withered sick cat. And mm-hmm. I, I swear she was going to smash him. And I'm glad she didn't. Cause I would have just cried to off. <laughs> but the scene that was referenced the whole, like the whole scene with the big emotional climax between the aunt and her, it didn't really work in terms of an emotional buildup because we never saw the aunt as oppressive so much as she was just like, why is she traveling all over the country? What's she doing? Other people push the aunt into going and chasing her down. Mm-hmm. And then immediately she's like, fine, I'm going with you because you know, you've been traveling all over Japan. Let's go together. As someone who, who was, who's been, who was adopted that scene of her, of her aunt telling her, you're just my baggage that I can't get, that I can't get rid of fucking heart. Yeah. I, because say. I, I, because I, I was adopted and I had an unadopted <laughs> rightfully. So should have happened way earlier. Not after I turned 18, mm-hmm. but knowing that and living with the ramifications as a child that you, it, to me, I knew I wasn't wanted in that part of the relationship, which has its own issues. But to me as someone who, um, but I was been in her place where i never heard those words but I knew they were there and to her hear them and then realize, Oh, that's actually the other keystone being a dick. It still really hurts. And it still is that emotional sucker punch of wondering, am I just here because I'm a child and you're taking care of me and I need, and I need a place to be, or do you actually fucking love me or not? That was a brutal, brutal
0: scene. I have a question for you guys because it's the one thing that I really couldn't figure out and that is the significance of the chair because like, the chair is one of the last remnants of her childhood and you could tell that she's blocked a lot of memories of the disaster and part of the movie is rediscovering those memories to get back to where the door is in her old village when it was wiped out. So the significance of Soda being turned into the chair by Daijin do you think that Dijin had an intention into creating some kind of bonding relationship with her and Soda through the chair? Or was that just a random act of, of, of happenstance? Because I, I couldn't figure that out.
3: I think Dijin was trying to build a relationship with her because remember there's one point Dijin's like, and I love you. And is like, yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, so I think Daijin was trying to use the chair to build something with Suzume, but not with Soda.
1: I agree. I and that's another part of this movie that I feel like there's something missing in the story because yeah. they they want to throw a curveball at you, but they they don't do a great job of it because Daijin is so like ambiguously cute and somewhat naive that like every time they speak, you're like, okay, it's important. I need to listen, and it's saying you and I are going to be together. So it's like, okay, and you haven't given it like a weird, creepy voice. It's a kid voice. So therefore it is creepy in a way, but it's also kind of innocent, especially in the way you're presenting it. So it's clearly just naive in the sense of like, oh, I love this person. I'm going to make them love me in whatever way I can by showing them these doors and whatnot. Did I? Yeah. Okay. I thought you guys froze again. I was like, Oh no! No, no, no. Now I was thinking about the other thing is you don't
3: get to know much about the other cat either.
1: Yeah. You other don't than and it's
3: yeah, atta- he just <laughs> shows the
1: fuck up. And other I'm like, okay.
3: But what makes me curious is that DiGene was trying to build the relationship with Suzume, right?
1: Yeah.
3: Did the other? I guess the other cat had some kind of really personal relationship with the uh, soda's grandfather, who we see in a hospital bed. Mm. So did Daijin want the same thing with Suzume? I guess that's what's trying to be implied there. That's how I took it.
0: Yeah, because they also throw another red herring at you where uh, I think it's like right when they're trying to stop the the worm in Tokyo where Daijin tells Suzume that she is the keystone. So that also threw me for a loop because it's like, all right, so now that she has interacted with the keystone, Daijin is essentially just a manifestation of her purpose now. And now she's the keystone. And then they don't really do anything else with that other than the fact that she is the one that can go into the Ever After to get soda. It, like, I, this is, I, I think it was Alex that said it earlier. This does feel like two movies that they've squished together. Cause I would have loved to watch the movie just about soda being a closer and traveling around the world and closing these worm doors and shit like that. And then I would love to see just this relationship between Susan May and a chair traveling the country. Like those two movies work for me. And then when you stick them together and have to like force plot drivers in there that don't give you a real explanation later on, that's where it becomes distracting. That I think like, you know, the majority of us have at least said once or twice where, yeah, there's something missing here or there's something extra and whatever it is, it just disrupts what this movie I think could have been.
1: Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier, Antonio, there's there's like a built in lore that they just decided to completely gloss over because like the the history of the the closers is immediately just like, here's a book. Here's some <laughs> things that happened <laughs> right. and we're going to move on. And like, I want to know more about that. I, guess... I don't need all these side stops. I kind of took it
3: as one of those, like, you're left to kind of fill in the spaces, but I feel like there's too many spaces and not enough prompts for me to be filling in on my own, if that makes sense.
0: Right, which is like my point where I said how your name did it so well, is that characters that may have seemed insignificant in the first scene come back and actually have a pretty big story to tell of their own. And this didn't have that. And we didn't need the roommate with the cool car unless we just needed a car. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, fir- exactly, first of all, but-
3: first of all, you don't diss that car. He, he drives a manual. All right. That's a <laughs> that's that's a proper car. Let me tell you.
1: And it also it a lot of joke with the broken roof,
3: the, the broken might. roof. So it's a bit where the car like crashes into like a field essentially. And then the roof finally closes and it didn't like work during the rain. That got a good chuckle out of me. Because even though, like, he just crashed his car, it's like, oh, cool, the roof is
0: fixed. <laughs> but then the door falls right off. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that they so, didn't apparently duct taped all back together for the, end of the, movie for the drive right? back.
1: Duct tape fixes everything, even yep, in yeah. Japanese culture. Um, so, I mean, we've we've basically moved straight into spoiler territory. But let's let's just
3: go. Say, we've been no, deep in spoiler territory. Yeah, Josh.
1: We, <laughs> let, let's let's just say it out, outright at this point, like full on spoiler warning but uh before we move into that um let's let's give the talking smack ratings before we go and alex i forgot you last week so let's start with you would you say that Suzume is a must-see or pass
2: i really really like the chair scene so watch it <laughs> it's a must-see i love that damn chair chase scene.
1: slade how about you uh it's
3: it, it's a must-see this is one of those Few times I think where you can get the non-anime people in to watch a movie, and you know maybe tempt them into watching something else. The visuals are beautiful, as you've been listening to say. I don't think the story is a knockout, and you know whatsoever. But overall, it's good enough. A little coming-of-age story. Uh, it's a good, you know, keep you entertained and everything. So yeah, it's a must-watch.
1: Antonio.
0: Okay, so shameless plug for my future podcast with Justin Henson from the Movie Wire one of the things that we talk about in each episode is that I don't like to consider myself a film reviewer or a film critic, because I think a film has to be seen more than once to truly understand what it's trying to do. I mean, some films will blow you out of the water right away and that's great for them, but a film like this, I'm going to give a must see because it challenged me and I don't think i figured it out yet. So I will watch it again, probably a couple more times to truly figure it out and see if my instant uh critiques and hesitations about it are warranted if i didn't think it was worth it i'd give it a pass but i think it's worth it so i'm gonna give it a must see
1: it's gonna be a must see for me as well i i agree with what antonio said this this is maybe a movie that just needs to be seen multiple times where you can catch little breadcrumbs and pick up on little things that you might have missed just because you didn't know what the story what or where the story was going but with that let's talk about The chair. I mean, that's as much as this movie is about Suzume. The chair is just such a huge thing. And Slade, I know you said this movie broke you, so let's uh, let's dive into that because the chair plays such a big part of it. Well,
3: it wasn't the chair that ever broke me. Um, kind of, I guess, like Alex, you know, I'm also a uh, an adopted child, and it was the end that is what broke me when it's adult Suzume confronting young Suzume. That's what ended up breaking me. But to get into the chair, to get into the chair though, I really enjoyed, uh, them using social media at 1.2 track daijin, but also noticing trending as well was the chair running around and being like, (laughs) Oh God, we can't let you just run freely. Um, cause you know, that's how it would be, you know, when something cool happens like that, you know, social media blows up with it. They even had like a really bad YouTube thumbnail in, uh, and like the little fake twitter scrolling another point that was really fun as well, well you know
1: the, sorry sorry slade weren't they using line which is an actual social media platform well, i mean you might as well call it fake because i don't think anyone in the states really no uses no it. one
3: uses line but well no i it looked, <laughs> it didn't really look like well anyways, what i think what line is supposed to look like but uh on the other half of it though you know we talked about the chair sitting sequence where you know soda is essentially uh transferred into the chair his consciousness is but he's still able to like move and run around uh the chair was built by susan's mother uh it's missing a leg we never really learn about how the leg got lost and it never gets returned either that's another thing where antonio's talking about a rewatch is worthy because maybe it's told to us and i missed it on Mm. the first watch but there's one point she tries to sit on uh soda in chair form with the kids and he's like absolutely not but then she gets away with it later <laughs> but, <laughs> there's a little knowing grin. It is a little fourth wall breaky, but man, the whole time it's it, I think it's good.
2: I really laughed uh at one point where she's describing her aunt and she goes, Oh, she she's 40, but she's really pretty. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, thanks for the clarification. That is exactly something what a teenager would say. Right. But okay, so speaking of weird the aunt and weird things that bothered me. Her makeup when she shows up to confront Suzume in Tokyo is really weirdly distracting. Like she has this bright purple lipstick and she's fully made up, which she didn't look like that when she was at the office and her friend convinced her to go like, hey, you know, have her access to her bank account, see where she is and be sp- and spending stuff. So did she go home, shower, change, put on makeup and then take an- a train and which established she's like Tokyo's like a day and a half away by boat or maybe faster by train to then find her. Well, you got to dress up to go to the big city. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just <it> was like, <laughs> cause I fully expected like the whole rush from work wearing the the lab coat she's wearing and all like looking all right. fussy. not the whole, like I'm ready to hit the town and bring you home. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, she got to, she has to meet the dude with the cool car. You know, she needs to dress up for him a bit.
2: true which is that's where i thought it was going was just like she's 40 but really pretty here young man you can date her who's the roommate of my love interest
0: who owes him money oh wait no i owe him money yeah Yeah.
2: but he forgot so that's fine
0: i'm looking at my notes over here guys and there's two things that stood out to me that i didn't mention yet and that is uh, god there is a lot of stranger things in this movie isn't there Go on. I feel like the the worm is mm. very reminiscent of the uh, smoke monster, whatever they call it in Stranger Things. I feel like there's a real kind of like Vecna feel to the the Ever After and the dark side of it. Like I really got a lot of that in there. It's kind of like a Stranger Things uh, a driven plot. Oh,
2: see, I thought every time I saw one of the worms emerging from the door and all that stuff, all I, and. And then, like, the cat attacks it at the tip of it, or something like that. All I could see was giant angry dicks.
0: <laughs> oh, you were, you were watching a different kind of anime. <laughs> That's called
2: hentai,
3: Alex. Are hentai. you sure? And it's art. <laughs> Thank you. Very much. I can see where the Stranger Things like parallel comes from. I didn't think about it at the time, Antonio, but now that you've brought it up.
0: And then the other thing that I. Wrote down that I and you know, we kind of talked about how the film struggles with with pace and stuff like that. But I feel like they overstayed their welcome with the amount of times they had to close a door and save the world from these worms. Like I, I wrote down, okay, the third worm is enough. We don't need any more worm closing. Like I I felt like we were repeating the same action over and over again, just like uh, increasing the severity. Of the worm and the door but at the end of the day it was pretty much the same scene just done more extravagantly as the time went on
2: I
1: could see that I, th- I think they could have they they were leaning towards something because I think it's the, the second one maybe it's the third one where they're at the Ferris wheel and she she tries to she gets like lured in essentially she she's tempted by something yeah. and she gets like taken into a trance and that's something that it again feels incomplete because that seems like something that should have been brought up a little bit better in the sense of like, this is something the worm can do. It can put you into a trance. It can lure you with a temptation of something that you want to know or that you, you want to have in your life and they just never really go into it. It's just like that. And I think that's also the moment when soda is like, Oh man, this girl is amazing. I think I love her. (laughs) It's such a weird, just, imbalance of yeah what's happening in the movie and what the movie is trying to tell us at the same time.
3: Right. I I think his tone shift there is a little weird as well. But I think to me what is trying to be implied is that if you give in and go in through the door, then you know she was seeing like I guess the comfort and everything that she had always wanted. And that was the temptation of going through the door. But if you do that then you're basically saying hey my happiness is worth all these other people's lives, lives. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, one thing that I, I think this is, I think this is in the trailer as well. Um, but in the final worm f- is the big worm fight in Tokyo before they go to uh, Suzume's house and they have the big final confrontation in the Ever After. There's that shot where she goes after Soda and she grabs the leg and then she just shoots up into the air. I thought that shot was absolutely beautiful. It's, it's not, it seems like it's not even a frame, but it's just such a cool shot where she's jumping off the bridge. She makes that leap of faith, grabs the leg, and then she just goes up in the air. It's such a cool shot. Yeah. Such a cool moment. Agreed.
3: There was one moment, I think, like, to me, the best shot, it's not even like anything really important. It's just showing the passage of time in the movie, but it's just watching the clouds go by and, like, the day, you know. Uh, dawn the dusk shot that's in there mm-hmm. it is hand drawn so well like it almost blurs like reality a bit
0: yeah oh man i yeah i haven't really talked much about the animation how much i loved it in this movie especially the scenes of action and like there's moments of i'd say force and unfocused perspective mm-hmm. during the action scenes and high-paced scenes I, I don't think i've and i don't watch a lot of anime but that is something that only anime can capture and i was i was blown away by those moments for sure
1: Uh, makoto shinkai uh there's the disney look and then there's the you can call it the shinkai look like he he has settled in on his aesthetic and it works so well you can go from your name to weathering with you to suzume and like while the look is consistent they're all visually distinct from each other but they have like that common blue purple nighttime sky and everything. And he he clearly has a love for this kind of aesthetic and the look of it, but he, he works it into his movies so naturally that it, you, you forgive the, the sameness that maybe Disney has kind of worn out its welcome with.
2: Yeah. Which is why I was, I was slightly disappointed that there was one weirdly obvious CGI shot. It's like when the worm almost fully forms over tokyo and it's nothing but a bunch of spirals Mm. it's it's such a harsh cut from this beautiful swooping hand drawn to this very static like late 90s evangelion kind of look it's weirdly bizarre and then it cuts back to like her running along and it's so weird it it this movie has so many moments that i i that i love but then it just pivots to these weird distractions.
0: Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say that on this one, like like a lot of movies, I will remember this film for a lot of its moments and not necessarily for the movie as a whole because the moments that are so good perfectly
1: encapsulates it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd I'd agree with
3: that. I'd also say that it leaves me with more questions than answers, but maybe that's part of the point.
2: So. Slade, the part at the end where she rescues um she rescues the chair and convinces the cat to recat itself, right? And then she sees herself and gives herself the chair. That's the part that broke you, right?
3: Well, it wasn't so much that it was the uh, younger Susan May just wanting to know where her mom is. Okay. Oh yeah, crying and yelling for it. That's what got me.
2: All right. I, I was kind of like wondering if was it was the emotional like um you know older self trying to protect younger self or was it the emotion of being lost as a child and needing answers and you know yeah it's it was, was the
3: emotion of being yeah. lost as a child and not knowing anything which that that one I, I guess I don't know for you as well Alex but that one for me hit a little too close to home.
2: Yeah, that I, I was already uh broken by the they aren't. So that really didn't do a lot for me, (laughs) but um, to get overly personal, (laughs) my, my therapist, uh, she is a big fan of a, of a system called older child, uh, like, sorry, adult and and child voice. And so some of like the emotions that you're working through, some of the trauma you're carrying forth is your younger self, your child self being hurt. And what do you as the adult want to tell that child because that child may sometimes rule your emotions and make you, you know, be irrational or hurt others because you are hurting and stuff like that. So there has been moments where we've had, where, you know, it's like, listen, I'm going to be your younger self. You need to talk to me as the adult. You need to learn. That makes a lot of sense, man. Yeah.
0: Because that, that would represent why daijin is childish in the sense of how it reacts with Suzume and then Sadajin, the older cat, is is more bitter and dark much like the old man so that represents the the voice of the old man who's lived if we mm-hmm. want to get really psychological with it
2: yeah um, yeah so that part didn't quite work as much for me because i'm kind of used to that and i was already just like like god damn that's a little too close home but right i, I like that it, i like that it meant something to you i really do like what knowing that what it made you feel and which part of that is what spoke to you Right, because once
3: again, we may be getting a little too personal. I don't know about you. I've never had that closure in my life. So, you know, like my birth parents, I don't know shit. Yeah. So, you know, it's but you always have that lingering question. And that that was the part that hit me. And I'm like,
2: Mm -hmm. I feel you, kid. Wish I knew, too.
3: And that's probably that, you know, younger self like you're talking about.
2: Yeah, no. It's tough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Yeah. Josh, you haven't said anything in a while. <laughs> I,
1: was, I, was, I was letting you guys have a moment. Um, I, I got more like Toy Story 3 vibes from that moment. Um, I didn't connect with it quite the same way you guys did. I, I did think it was a really beautiful moment just because you have that. What's the word I'm looking for? She, she gets the light bulb of like, oh, this wasn't my mom. This wasn't anything that that an adult did. It was me helping me. And it's kind of like Toy Story Three, where Andy's handing off his toys to—I'm uh, forgetting her name—but uh, the new girl that is, takes the the toys from him as he goes off to college. So, like, they get this moment of Andy playing with the toys one last time, and then he hands them off. And he's like, "Can you take care of them for me?" And when Suzume's is giving the chair to her younger self, you get this time loop thing, and it it's done really well. And but it's also. Uh, symbolic of her kind of letting go of her childhood trauma and also giving her her childhood self comfort because that chair means something to her and i, I looked it up while we while you guys uh were talking previously uh the chair lost its leg in a flood that happened that it also took her mom
3: okay so, so that's where the uh, leg got lost
1: yeah mm-hmm. so like the chair just got damaged uh, also again symbolic of like a broken childhood something tragic happened yeah. that uh, this thing that she loves as a, a child is now broken as well as she is uh but her handing it off to her younger self just kind of gives gives her comfort in that moment as a child but it's also symbolic of her letting go of that trauma as an adult well and you know. i i think that's, that's kind of what I took from that moment. Well, it also makes sense
3: now that I'm thinking about that she doesn't remember it because, you know, they show a couple different scenes of like her and her little notebook or whatever, maybe diary. And she's just like blacking out whole pages. Because You know, there's a couple of times people are like, why does it only have three legs or why does the chair look like that? And, you know, the best she can just say, oh, my mom made it. You know, I don't know what happened.
1: Indeed. Yeah, so I, I do think it's a, a very beautiful movie, but I think Antonio... Knocked it out of the park with what he how he broke it down where it's beautiful moments. It's a beautiful, beautiful moments within a movie that for the most part is very. It's not really cohesive in the way that a lot of his previous work was. Right. I I would agree with that. So I think with that, uh, along with the technical difficulties I've been having, I think that might be a great place <laughs> to end it. Um, but before we go. <laughs> uh i'll let you guys share your social medias and your podcasts here in a second but there is one little thing that i want to get out of the way which is um both of you actually have the honor of being in on an, a very auspicious episode which is this is our 100th consecutive episode oh uh, it's it's the 100th episode since we've been back in october of 2021 so uh thanks to you guys uh game Club Pod, cult-worthy, uh, Casting views, super familiar with Wilson, sugarcoated murder, decaying with the boys. Uh, review it yourself. Um, watching stuff, Red Dove podcast, uh, so many others that uh, just at the moment are not clicking in my brain. Um, panel to panel, comic book keepers. Just there's there's been so many amazing podcasts that we've interacted with that we've guested on that I I just I cannot thank everyone enough for the support you've given the podcast, let alone the the support I've had in my household with Ricky. Um, I wouldn't be doing this if Ricky weren't okay with it at the very least. Um But to get to 100 consecutive episodes, I know I've missed some and Alex as the, uh, uh, the official co-host of the podcast filling in for those episodes. It's, it's been a privilege to uh, produce any kind of content, let alone content that people actually want to listen to. And uh, I'm getting gushy again, so I'm going to kind of cut it off there, but uh, it's just so, like, it's it's really cool to just say like, yeah, I've produced a hundred episodes of this podcast, even even if it's two consecutive years over the course of uh, what we've been around since twenty seventeen, technically speaking. So we're, this is episode one twenty two or one twenty three, but this is kind of episode one hundred of the reboot. So it, it's just really. This has been a really great conversation to have for episode 100 as well. So thank you guys for being a part of it.
0: Hell yeah!
3: Thank you, thank you for having us on for this. Hell yeah! Would have prepared like some applause sound effects right here. Congratulations! Hit the merchandising button. Hey, there it is. Congratulations! Congratulations!
2: Congratulations!
3: Alex, so it's fitting with the tone. Later, put in the Evangelion. Congratulations, Congratulations clapping. Congratulations. Oh my God, Congratulations. yes,
1: I will. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fitting with the anime tone. <laughs> but uh, so let's get on with the... Uh... Merchandising! And Antonio, <laughs> please please let everyone know about your podcasts and where they can find you on social medias. Absolutely.
0: So the podcast you would be most familiar with if you listen to Talking Smack is the cult-worthy where I bring on a weekly guest, and we talk about obscure films, cult-worthy cinema, and undiscovered gems. I also have the Milf and Me podcast, which is a podcast about dating in your 40s, relationships. Me and my co-host Diana just pretty much talk shit on society for 45 minutes. It's great. That's got a YouTube channel. And don't forget, I've got a new podcast coming out in January, I will give you more details about that but you can find all of my links on the cultsworthy.com. save yourself the trouble of going from one social media site to another just go to the cultworthy.com
2: Okay that's in a in a you Slade. but uh, Antonio did you hear our episode where we promoed the <laughs> milk and me and then I just started randomly interjecting Random titles you guys have had throughout the rest of the
0: episode. Yeah, you're not you're not in our uh, our little side chat, but I was like, uh, thanks to everyone at Talking Smack for giving me like 20 free plugs that episode. <laughs> My favorite was your interjection of, "Well, um, that would be something found in the Milf and Me episode, Kinky Winky." <laughs>
2: Slade, where can we find you? (laughs)
3: Uh, You can find me most places at Slade Plays Games. You can find me at mainly the Game Club Podcast, where once every two weeks we review a video game, not too dissimilar to a book club. You can also find our friends here from Talking Smack on an episode I did with them of Between Two Pods. It's like a really long AMA. Alex is only there for half of it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Riverside. Not a sponsor, but don't want it. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. Um, It's my internet that's causing problems this week. Antonio, we'll see you in a couple weeks for uh, Godzilla Minus One. Next week, I'll be reuniting Unchefed for a sequel to our Good Burger episode where we talk Good Burger 2. Alex, as the co-host, should be there as well unless something crazy happens. But on top of any of that, before I, I'm trying to multitask and I'm not good at it. I'm trying to find my, my correct outro button. There you are. So please, among other things, Alex, Hey, let's do this. Since I usually let Matt do it. Plug our discord. You're on mute, buddy. You're you've lost the co-hosting gig. Ah, damn it. I knew it.
3: Join the talking smack discord. It's fun. (laughs) Uh, Matt (laughs) will ramble on about things for you over there. I occasionally (laughs) pop in. Joey's over there from the Game Club podcast if you like him. Uh, you can find all their talks uh, socials under Talking Smack. Look for the yellow and red icon.
1: Is that Talking there? Smack pod, Slade. You you almost oh. had the co-host and gig locked uh, in. I thought, but you, I, thought I, I was going to replace up. Alex, but never mind. <sighs> <laughs> but it's like so... Almost eloquently try to tell you, you can find us at Talking Smack Pod on all social media platforms, including Blue Sky, Instagram, Threads, Hive Social, Post News, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Lonnie's website. Email us your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, reviews at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for the musical themes. Alex, who remixed the theme this week? Antonio did.
2: That's why it sounds so good.
1: (laughs) There you go you're welcome thank you (laughs) thank you to Beppo for our original avatars RetroAlt Studios for our Ricky avatar please like subscribe rate review the podcast on your podcatcher of choice it helps us out greatly and most importantly thanks again so much everyone for listening take care
3: watch Attack on Titan
1: that's over Slade I know it's sad we will be doing a, a final two episodes episode And, of course, watch Star Trek.
2: Who loves T-Smack?
1: I love T-Smack. Is it
0: true? Mm-hmm. I do, I do. Ooh.